0: Turning your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 4. It was about a year ago in May. I preached twice at Christ Ridge on the first two temptations of Christ. I thought it would be appropriate to uh, finish that and preach on the third temptation out of Matthew uh, chapter 4. Christ, the second Adam, tempted, as was the first Adam. Christ, the true Son of God. Tempted as Israel, the firstborn of God, was tempted, firstborn son of God, was tempted in the wilderness. Christ succeeded in these temptations, the beginning of the defeat of the evil one. We come, I'm going to read uh, all three temptations beginning in Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 1 through uh, verse 11. So let's give our attention to the reading of the Word of God. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us. We thank you. For Christ, for apart from him, we are without hope and without God in the world in which we live. We pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. That we might be encouraged, that you might work in us that which is pleasing to you, that we might be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Malcolm Muggeridge was a journalist, an author, and a Christian. He wrote a book called Christ and the Media, I think originally published in 1979. In that book, he proposes a fourth temptation of Christ. He says Imagine a rich Roman tycoon passing through Galilee. He hears Jesus speak. Nothing spectacular. A nondescript crowd gathered around a teacher. But the words of Jesus impress and captivate him. He has a thought. Here is a person that can really impact the general public. Here is a potential star. He gets an idea. I'll put Jesus on television. I'll bring him to Rome. Use one of... One or two of his followers as props. John the Baptist would look great on the set with those desert clothes. We'll have a lush atmosphere, fountain spraying, music playing, a good chorus line from Delphi. Some gladiators in full costume, throwing some readings from various sacred writings. Maybe some discussions with the faculty from the School of Athens. But Jesus. Will be the center of attention. Put a special robe on him, a little bit different hairstyle. Trim up that beard a bit. I will put Jesus on the map. I'll launch him into a great career. His teaching will spread worldwide. You'll be able to reach a huge public, not just these insignificant little crowds. But then he has a thought. I wonder if Jesus would agree to this. How could he refuse? How could he refuse? Notice the assumption in Muggeridge's fourth temptation, which I really think is just a modern version of of the third temptation of Christ. How could Jesus refuse? Everybody wants to be a celebrity. Everyone wants a successful career with a, with a huge following. Everyone wants large crowds waiting on your every word. Or thousands of followers waiting on your next tweet. <laughs> How could he turn down worldwide exposure? Who in their right mind would be content to stay in backwards Palestine. Those are some of the issues that Jesus wrestled with in this third temptation. Satan did not have access to television then. Sorry to say he does now. But he takes Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This is even better than Rock City, right? Where you can see seven (laughs) states on a clear day. And there's a progression in these temptations. The first one... You're on the ground. The second one, you're at the pinnacle of a temple. The third one, you're on a very, very high mountain, as someone has said, the very roof of the world. We've progressed from a loaf of bread to the kingdoms of the world. Each temptation becomes greater in scope. Also, the third temptation is different from the first two temptations. The first two temptations were a challenge. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Or if you are the Son of God, being up on this high temple, jump and let the angels of God deliver you. This third temptation is not a challenge. It's an irresistible offer that Satan makes to Jesus. And what is that offer? After showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, verse 9, Satan says to Jesus, All these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. All these kingdoms that you see and all of their glory, Jesus, that you see, Satan says, I will give them to you, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. Now think about this offer. Satan is offering to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Hasn't Jesus already been promised the kingdoms of the world? Psalm 2.7, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. God the Father has already promised to give to Jesus, his Son, all the kingdoms of the world. The offer of Satan is not that much different than the promise that God the Father has already given to his Son. You can have the kingdoms of the world, the nations are your inheritance. But there's a significant difference between Satan's offer and God's promise. God the Father has promised Jesus the nations for his inheritance. But the path, the destination to receiving those nations is a path that leads through pain and suffering and agony. It's a path that leads through the cross, the apparent failure and defeat of the cross. Satan comes along and says, Jesus, you don't have to go through all that. You can have it all now. All these kingdoms and their glory, you can have them right now. Immediate glory without the suffering of the cross. The heart of this temptation is for Jesus to have what is rightfully his. For Jesus to have what God has promised him, but to receive it the wrong way. The temptation is to have it all. Jesus, I'll give you everything. Apart from the will of God. Apart from the suffering of the cross. Jesus and His humanity faces what we all face on a smaller scale. the lie of Satan. You can have it all. You can have it all now, and you don't need God to receive it. Just follow me. It's the message that the world proclaims. Here is the way to fulfillment, here is the way to real happiness. You can have it all, and you don't need God. I've been intrigued how the commercials over the years have changed, at least as I remember them, and I've, I'm a little bit getting a little bit older, so I've got a lot of commercials I've watched over the years. They've sort of changed from setting forth the quality of their product. To sort of what their product can do for you, the benefit of their product is that their product will lead to self-fulfillment, and the commercials pitch themselves many times in this way. Right? You deserve a break today. I even saw that in a box of donuts. You deserve a donut. I like that because <laughs> I like donuts, right? It's what I want. It's, it's what I deserve because it's, it's all about me. Sprite, be all that you can be. Not sure how Sprite will help you become all that you can be, but it's easy to get infected with this kind of thinking. It's, we all want self-fulfillment. We all want it all, and we all want it all now, don't we? Oh, yeah, that was a Dr. Pepper commercial, wasn't it? (laughs) As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you should know that God has promised you everything. He's promised us that one day we will have it all. There's coming a day when we will receive it all, when Jesus comes again, and that great inheritance In the new heavens, in the new earth, where everything that we would ever want will be given to us by grace, full contentment, full satisfaction, endless rest, as we sang about this morning. But we will receive it all God's way, not our way. And not the way that Satan offers to us. Christ calls us to take up our cross and follow him. We are to forsake all to follow Christ. And we are assured that one day we will receive it all. The temptation is to have what God has promised. In a way that God has not ordained. Satan's offer is a lie. Satan's offer to Jesus is a lie. And that temptation that we face is one of those lies of Satan. The message of the world is false. Having it all the world's way will not satisfy. Some of the hymns we sang this morning sort of had that theme. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, from the best bliss that earth imparts, We turn unfilled to thee again. Glorious things of thee are spoken as a great final verse. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. It's fading. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. And then we're going to sing... At the end of the service, be thou my vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, God, thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. Jesus realized there's nothing more satisfying than what comes from the hand of his Father in heaven even if that includes the pathway of suffering and the cross. And we will only receive it all through God's way, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which will turn your world upside down. At the heart of this third temptation is what kind of king will Jesus be during his ministry? This is the very beginning of his earthly ministry. What kind of king will he be? A conquering hero king? Someone who rides into Jerusalem on a horse to the praise of the people to deliver Jerusalem... From Roman rule and subduing the world through his power. Is is that the kind of king? Satan's offer is for Jesus to be a hero. To be a world conqueror. To let your name Jesus go down in history. Not just be some footnote on the pages of secular history. And I will give you the kingdoms of the world. In fact, this offer of Satan is exactly what the Jewish people were looking for of Jesus' day. And there was some good reason for them to think that the coming king might behave this way. There are some Old Testament passages that could lead them in that direction. They wanted their king to be the ruler of the world and Satan is offering to Jesus a shortcut to that. He's offering to Jesus the praise of thousands, all the comforts of life, unlimited earthly glory. Instead of, I mean, think about what Jesus was going to face during his earthly ministry. If he follows God's way, a few small followers. Very few of the comforts of life, the suffering and death of a cross. He chose God's way. He chose the path of pain, rejection, and suffering. He chose the hard way over the easy way. Because he had us in mind. He knew without the cross, we would be lost. No hope of salvation. He tells us why he chose that way. Specifically, as in each of these temptations, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. So in verse 10, strong words to Satan, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and and him only you shall serve. Jesus tells Satan, there's only one person worthy of worship, one person worthy of serving, and it's not you, Satan. It's my Father in heaven. Jesus speaking here from his human nature. As the obedient son who's come to do the father's will, knowing that he is also equal to the father in power and glory because of his divinity. He tells Satan the only thing in life that matters is worshiping and serving God. Everything else is insignificant in comparison with that. Jesus says, my goal is to worship God. My goal in life is to serve God. That's why he has come to this earth. And once you have that as your goal, everything else in life will fall into its proper place if your desire is to worship God and him only to serve That's not your highest priority. Life can become easily distorted, can it? Without God at the center of your life, it's easy to kind of lose your proper direction, your proper focus. For many people, life is a search for what will give them the edge, what will put them over the top, what will make them feel good, what will bring praise from other people. For some it's more money, for some it's more comfort, for some it's just looking for that easy way to go. The good things that God has given to us can become idols if they take the place of God. Jesus is quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and the context is really important. Moses is preparing the people to come into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and And he tells them, God tells the people through Moses, he says, I'm going to bring you into this land and I'm going to give you big and beautiful cities. And I'm going to give you houses full of good things. And I'm going to give you wells and vineyards and olive trees. I'm going to pour out blessings upon you. Food beyond abundance. And the temptation." The temptation that you face receiving all of these things. The temptation is that you're going to forget me. You're going to forget God. You're going to think that you have provided all of these things for yourself. And you're going to start living for these good things instead of living to the glory of God. At that point, you stop worshiping God. At that point, you stop serving God. Isn't that the danger of material abundance? Isn't that the danger of comfort? Nothing wrong with having good things. Nothing wrong with wealth. Abraham was a very wealthy man. But many times, spiritual apathy can set in where we desire these things. We forget why Christ has called us To follow Him. We forget that He tells us to take up a cross and follow Him. It's easy to become attached, isn't it, to the things of this world? The radical edge of what it means to be a disciple of of Christ can easily be blunted. So one question coming out of this text for us this morning is, what is your highest priority in life? Who are you worshiping? Who are you serving? Satan confronts Jesus with the oldest lie in the book, right? Worship me and I will give you everything. It worked with the first Adam. Do what I say, Satan says in the garden, and and you will be like God. Do you want to be like God? You can have it all. You don't need God. It's a lie. Satan cannot deliver on his promise. You may experience a a few years of success, a few years of, of passing pleasure, a few years of false freedom, but in the end, you will be left with nothing. Emptiness. Because only God can fill that hole in your soul. God calls us to follow and serve him and he can deliver on his promise. His path may include pain and suffering but in the end there's glory. That's our destination where we will receive blessings beyond abundance. But more important than that Because not even that is all about us, is it? More important than that, in the end, Christ himself will receive all the glory. Because he is the one who's made it possible for us to enjoy this great salvation by the hand of God. Jesus came as a suffering king. In his death, he saved us. Rose from the dead on the third day. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. One day he will come back as the mighty king. He will come back conquering nations. He will come back to receive the kingdoms of the world. But he never would have saved us. He never would have received all the kingdoms of the world. He never would have had every knee to bow before him if he had not put God first, the will of his father first. Even if that meant the path of pain and suffering, the crucifixion of a horrible death on the cross. The old lie of Satan is still very much alive today. We, we hear it every day, don't we? Serve me and I, I will give you everything. Every temptation that we face comes down to this question. Who are you worshiping? Who are you serving? Are you willing to put God first? Even if it means hardship and suffering. Suffering. I don't have a science illustration. (laughs) I tried, but it just didn't work. I do have a sports story from a sport I know very little about, actually, not soccer. Um, I read about this actually in World Magazine. There's an Australian rugby star, Israel Folau. I pronounce his name, actually. But what's been said about this particular gentleman is that he is to rugby what Michael Jordan was to basketball. He's a star. But he's facing termination of his four-year, four-million-dollar contract with Rugby Australia because of a post on social media concerning certain sexual activities Maybe you could argue that he could have been a little more winsome. I don't know if a rugby player can be winsome, but maybe you could try to argue that. But such things have become really an issue of free speech, haven't they? But he's willing to sacrifice his career this is him speaking willing to sacrifice his career for the sake of spreading the gospel. He's not going to apologize for his post. The gospel itself can be offensive. He commented that he loves playing rugby. But if he's not able to play, yeah, he'll miss it. But his faith in Christ is what comes first. He's worshiping God first. And serving him. Bob Dylan was considered to be a prophetic voice over the years of his singing. He supposedly had a conversion to Christ. I'm not sure how long it lasted. But he had one album, at least one album, that was very evangelical. Called Slow Train Coming. He's got a song on that album. You got to serve somebody. You can imagine him singing, if you can. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. That's the issue. Who are you serving? You're serving somebody. See, you're not some autonomous individual all on your own, existing in your own little world, making your own decisions. No, you're serving somebody. You're either serving Satan or you're serving the Lord. Those are the two options. Those are the only two options. If you're serving Satan, believe me, it's not going to end well. If you're serving God by following Christ, even if that is a path of suffering and hardship, it will end in glory. Who are you serving? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon what we can do. It's not dependent upon who we are. It's not dependent upon us becoming some kind of star. You love unworthy sinners. We have nothing to bring to the table. We thank you for your grace. We've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, the gift of God so that no one can boast. Father, we pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us as your people, as those who follow Christ, as those who face this temptation every day. It comes to us in a variety of ways. Help us, Lord, to be vigilant. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Help us to honor and serve you. That you might use us in whatever way you see fit. That we would not seek our own glory. that would seek the glory of Christ. Thank you for this glorious life that you've called us to. Keep us faithful until that day when Jesus comes again. In his name we pray, amen.